Hey guys, Merry Christmas. It is unleashed and uh, wow, this is like coming up on the end of 2023. We are getting so close to the end. Um, man, today's episode is going to be really, really cool. Um, I'm going to introduce my friend. I'll go ahead and do it now. I was going to do it kind of later, but we're going to try something a little different. Eric's got a question for both of us today. So we're going to do that. But I want to say something about our guest um, today. Have you ever had that person in your life that held a significant, almost like a Yoda-ish? Can I say Yoda-ish? Sure. Whatever. <laughs> the whole, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. He's kind of a Harley Yoda. Yoda. You know, it's kind of like Yoda that rises Harley. But uh, they have that, that place in your life that they can just say something and it flips a lot of what you've been thinking, maybe unhealthy or incorrect. Just it challenges you and it flips it on its head. And then all of a sudden you start having these aha moments, you know, begin to pop. And that's exactly what today's guest, I actually talked about him a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if you knew that, Vern. Um, no, I didn't. But yeah, when, well, and I might just briefly touch on the story about um, our phone call a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty amazing. But anyhow, let me introduce Vern. Kind of tell us a little bit about your back. Uh, we've never even shaken hands, dude. I know. What's up with that? Um, I know. I think I think sometimes that is what heaven's going to feel like. There's these influences in our lives that we may have read their stuff forever, whatever, and we get to actually interface them for the first time. And I'm really excited about that. And I think you're one of those guys. I think that's I think that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm a third fourth generation pastor. I don't generally ever tell people I'm a pastor, and it it remains a mystery for people. Um, I'm a grandpa. Um, my wife and I've been married. We've been together for almost 45 years now, if you can imagine that. Wow. And I live in central Pennsylvania by way. I, I was born American, grew up in Canada, northern Ontario. And my wife and I had all our kids in Dallas, Texas. And uh, now I'm central Pennsylvania. You, you can go up. You're fine. So how do I, how do I, let me say, I'm pronouncing your last name. Is it Hindman? How do I say it? Hindman. Hindman. Like I said, Hindman. It's the Scottish yeah. version. Yeah, right. I saw some British version right there. Sorry. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, we uh, we connected. It was like I was in a in a, a cohort for about two years with some of your friends, John Lynch yes. and Bill Thrall, and some of those guys. Yes. And we were flying like back and forth across the country and just processing some really great deep stuff on grace. And one day I was in this in a in a room like a like a private chat group thing with I think it was was it called the Room of Grace? Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my phone, I start getting this little, brrr, I'm like, that's a video call. Who is this? And that was exactly how we met. I had never even met you. I'd seen your post before. I'm like going, dude, who is this guy? And the next thing I know, you're calling me back there. And it was like, man, this, it would end up happening over the last few years. It's just been really neat. Just how God has kind of woven you in and out of my life. And, you know, hopefully it'll be that for you too. But um, anyhow. So Hindman, I got to get that right. Scottish. Yes. You know, as John Lynch says, God does speak with a Scottish accent. Um, what is a grace? Grace, yeah. Yeah, yeah my his... family's been kicked out of Scotland, Ireland, Canada, and we're on <laughs> shaky ground here. So, <laughs> well, my family history actually came down from Canada, and they came over from. I think it was. I think it was Scotland or was it Ireland. I should know. I just need to go get my DNA checked, I guess. See, there you go. I did that. That's, uh, yeah, interesting things you find out. Uh, God's encoded a lot in there. Who knew? Well, Eric, <laughs> you said you have um, a question for us today. 
And we're re- actually recording this before Christmas because we're not going to be in here on Christmas Day. So, guys, that's why we're doing this today. Yes. <clears throat> By the way, we do have a, we do have quite a few listeners in Edmonton, Canada. Oh, very so, cool. Yep. yep. That's yeah. on the other side, right? From where yeah, you're in the up. middle, and I do have a friend who uh, runs a band there. He actually called the band the Flat, the Fat Blue Man for a long time. But uh, yeah. I got a good friend, got some good music friends in Winnipeg. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've been Edmonton. Nice. Okay, so it's Christmas Day. What are you guys thankful for, and what are some goals you're setting for yourself spiritually and personally for 2024? Hmm. Wow, that's kind of a big question. You know, I about, I don't know, it's probably been two months ago now, and I think I might have shared this with you, Vern, I don't remember, that God knocked me to my knees. Um, I was upstairs, I was exercising, and all of a sudden, I just felt this presence of God over me, and he just says, I, I want you to get down, and I want you to look in the mirror honestly with me. Because there's things I want to do in your life, but I need you to be really honest. It's a, it was a cleansing. It was a cleaning. It was a reckoning. It was all those things. And it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like shame driven at all. You know, God doesn't do that. You know, it was, it, there was a, maybe a conviction, but it was a beautiful thing. It was like, thank you for just, you know, like when you've been in the hospital or, or you're homeless and someone you know, washes you off and it's been so long. And so that was really good. So I think for me, you know, going back to that question, I think what I'm thankful for this year is a God who um, has really been holding the mirror up to me so I can see myself. But the most beautiful thing is not to see the, the dark side, but to see the one that he loves no matter what. And I think that would be, that would be my thing, I think, with that first. What about you? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm hesitant to be thankful for this, but I'm, I'm thankful for disruption. I'm thankful I um, lay these plans and do these preparations. And I think they're all legitimate. I don't, I think they're all, um, I'm oriented to what God has for me in my life. And I try to understand that to the best of my ability. But I find um, often the result is not anywhere what I would have imagined. And so the disruption, um, often for me, the disruption uh, initially feels like rejection. Often it is rejection in some ways. Um, you got to say no to a lot of things before you can say yes to a few things. And uh, sometimes the things say no to me. And um, it's not necessarily the most pleasant of all experiences. But I'm learning that even no's are good answers, even if they come with a significant dose of rejection. And they're generally not rejecting me. They're generally, generally it's a bad fit. And I have to tr- trust the discernment of other people that uh, they're determining it's a bad fit, too. So for all the no's that I get, there are some significant yeses, and they're usually miraculous, things I could not have imagined at the beginning. So I'm I'm learning to be cautiously thankful for disruption and to uh, grip it expectantly and saying, um, not with expectations, but expectantly saying, you know, God's in this. He didn't bring me this far. Uh, to leave me in a in a pool of of dysfunction and uh, rejection, he brought me this far because there's something here important. And I think so it's hard too. To... Well, that rejection you were just talking about. You know, I think one of the hardest things for me to do, and it's that wall that we can get because we can get calloused emotionally 
is trusting others with me. <laughs> Man, is that hard? Yeah. You know, whether it's your spouse or your kids, because like you said, there's always rejection. You know, and I and yeah. we just talked. I mean, Eric, what was it? Just a few weeks ago, last week we talked about you know like the band of brothers, a little bit of the father wound stuff, you know, and then showing up for each other, you know, having each other six. But we talked just a couple of weeks ago about that whole thing we struggle with of never feeling good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah trusting me with others is is hard. It is very, very. Yeah, especially when it comes with um, uh, a, a, a unexpected no. You know, it, it, uh, no, no is a good answer. It's just not. Uh, sometimes um, it's it's what what I have to do is separate out the meaning from the to to learn not to ascribe meaning to it. Uh, I was quickly. just talking to a buddy today. I was picking my daughter up at school, and uh, he had a big disappointment happen. He had done something. He thought it was you know getting ready to launch all this stuff, and they pulled the plug at least for the next six months on this thing that that he was hoping was going to be going now. Yeah, and, and I just said, man, dude, I, I get it. I can't tell you how many times that is happening. Like now, what? But I, I, I do, I yes. do believe this. God's timing is better than my timing. And either maybe that thing it wasn't supposed to be happening yet. God is still always. He, he didn't change his time. We did. <laughs> we had, we had yeah. an expectation of what he was going to do, and uh, but he's still working on us. And that's, I guess, that'd be something I'm thankful for. I guess this to be, you know, when I think about coming up on the next year, you know, what kind of goals. You know, I've I've never really like said, "Hey, I'm writing a book this year." You know, if if God moves me to write it, I'm kind of I've learned to be patient enough to go. It there's not enough fermented yet that's that's there. You know, don't do something. What, hey, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? Where's the next breadcrumb? What's it look like? I'm kind of a breadcrumb guy, and that goes against a lot of motivational speakers, right? You got to have the the one week, the one month, the one year, the five year, the whatever. And I'm kind of this thing, I'm going, okay, God, where are we going today? I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm not disciplined because I am with what I get working on, but it's that I, I want to make sure that I'm not getting in the way. So that would be my goal for this next year is just really listening better. Yeah. Yeah, Anything I'm a you? grandpa. Yeah, I'm a grandpa. And um, I, uh, the situation in my life has made it possible for me to be full-time grandpa for um for the last since Mindy was born she's three, and uh, I'm expect we're expecting a new grandchild so my daycare is doubling in size, and um, <laughs> my parents are older and so it's possible I'll be uh, caring for them as well. Um, my brother is doing that now. We had a, a family emergency this weekend, so we'll see you know how that works. But um, I think one of the things I I do have some um traditional things I'd like to do in the next year. I hope that they work out. I'm working on the the balance between having the discipline to, to get things done with maintaining enough fallow space that surprises can happen. Um, I worked with a guy on a book called Holding On Loosely and the guy, and, and the, the idea is if, if we have our grip too tight, nothing else can fit in but we, what we can imagine. And if we loosen our grip just a little bit, things can squeeze in that we hadn't imagined. And, and God's imagination for me is so much larger than my own. And so I, I'm hoping that I can live in the tension between trying to get things done and living a disciplined life to some extent and being open to the, um, now the call that I had with you last week. It was really, really obvious. I loved, I loved that your wife, um, 
uh, was able to, to express a disappointment. And had she not, we wouldn't have talked. But as soon as I saw it, I knew it was time to, to that, that you and I talk, that you feel some support, that you feel um, that you feel that what you're doing is seen by by the, the community of Jesus. And I and I kept trying to hold on. For those of you that know what we're talking about here was just the whole financial struggles and being in ministry and things. I'm, you know, people make mistakes. Money can get behind whatever thing is going on. And it was just a really difficult time. And I had three different uh, men who I, I really trusted come to me and say, you, it's not let go and let God, because I don't like to give, you know, prescriptions like that because you're going, what does that mean? But they said, you need to get out of the way. You know, allow your wife to experience what she's experiencing right now because it's really important for her to go through this. Because out of it, the beautiful thing was she realized how cared for she is. Not just, I mean, of course, God, but so many people were speaking into her life. So that was really, and here's the thing too is today's podcast, you were talking about, you know, loosening the grip and so that there can be space for something else. That's exactly how you ended up being here today. Something hit me and I get a hold of you like, dude, I'm on my way. You know, we've got some parents with some health issues. And I'm like, well, man, I, I definitely want to get you in. But I just, there was something in my spirit. I kind of felt like, well, God, there's a there's connection after what just happened two weeks ago with you and with all this stuff with, with Stacy. And then you get a hold of me going, hey, we're on our way back home. I can do it. And I'm like, wow. I mean, it just popped up on the map. So here we are. And this is going to be really cool. So let me, let me just kind of start to try to... Um, Loosen the grip and let something in here. Uh, I have been talking to you about really trying to get some things launched, you know, like with the podcast. And there's another part. Some of you might know that we have something called Unleashed Plus, and that is where if you – that's the only part that's subscription. Everything else is free. But we just do more stuff on there. And you and I were talking, and you said, Brent, you really want to make the connection with people. It's not, it's not like here's the prizes you win. You know, well, those are great. But it's got to be relational. It's got to be heart to heart. You know, we have to get real and stuff. So I go on social media yesterday because I, I think I can, I can be pretty task-oriented sometimes. And I'll just kind of see something and start doing it. And to loosen up, you know, get rid of some of that hypertension that I struggle with and allow people to say what they're feeling without taking it personal. And I just put something out and I said, let me ask you guys a question here. Where do you see, and I don't remember even how I worded it, whether it's in this country or in your life right now or this generation or whatever, where, where do you see morality um, is basically kind of like feeling like it's going down the tubes? I think I'd said something like that. And I thought I'm going to get, you know, three or four people are going to respond here, right? You know, it's just one of those. There's like 200 responses, long, long responses. And they were listing everything you can think about. Um, and so I, I get a hold of you and I said, man, I said, we got to talk about this because this is big because we all feel it. You know, with the holidays, we, we feel the, you know, the pinch in our wallets right now. We, you know, we, we look at the world and we see the things that are going on, you know, with Israel right now or whether it's China or Russia. And those become our main talking points. And we really begin to focus on all this and all the anxiety and all the anger and all the the power that we see happening and we begin to struggle and want to take it back and, and, you know, whatever those, that field of banding burn that we want to, we want to conquer. I have to step back because I can be one of these. If I'm watching the news burn, I can get <laughs> wound up and I have to step away Yes, because there's, 
There's so many filters things are going through. Everyone has what they're saying is truth, and you don't know. The only thing that I know in my life is true is that God loves me. I've seen him prove it so many times. So what I kind of wanted to do with you today, and like I was telling you, you know, um, Vern is like, like the Yoda. I mean, he really is. And so as we begin to take this apart a little bit, I just kind of want to come back to you. And do you ever feel feelings like that? Like, man, what's happening with this country? Or Now, I know a little bit about you enough that it's probably not going to be what people expect. But walk us, you know, wait us in, okay, before yeah. we start getting into the deep end here. So one, one of the things I loved about your post and the people's responses is to a person, everybody wants good. Everybody, when we say morality, we could say good. We could say uh, right reaction to people, right response to people. And so all of the people that you surround yourself want good. They all are expressing uh, 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 a desire for this goodness. And for me, the trick is how do we get there? Um, maybe it would be easier Maybe it would be easier for me to start how I got here, uh, and 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 in a really big sense. Sure. Um, I'm a fourth generation pastor. I I wasn't going to be a pastor. I had no desire. To, I grew up a pastor's kid. Zero desire to be that. My first career, I was a biomedical research engineer in anesthesia. I worked for UT Southwest. We did uh, research on the autonomic nervous system and. Interestingly, all these years later, heart rate variability and the autonomic nervous system, vaguely mediated autonomic nervous system, is what all of the PTSD stuff's on. The Apple Watch is based on this stuff. But this is really early on before Poor just wrote his seminal work, and this is way, 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 way early. And I didn't know what I – like, I'm, I don't know why I'm here. I mean, this is bizarre math I'm doing, um, and I, I have no idea why I'm doing this. So one career I did that, uh, last worked at University of Texas Southwest Medical School. So I was working at a medical school um, in Dallas. And and we as, as biomedical engineers, we were on the internet before the internet. We were on the internet before, before the browser was invented as wow. research engineers. And around that time, uh, Ronald Reagan um, dumped the super collider. They were doing a thing like in CERN, this super collider, it was in Waco. And so all of these high-end scientists been on the internet for years all got fired on the same day, basically the same time. So there's an influx to Dallas of these internet people, and it was a hot spot. So for a decade or more, I was a network engineer uh, building internet companies and you know, pretty wealthy doing that. And I moved to central Pennsylvania, um, and that was a train wreck. Coming here was like a train wreck. God put me in this uh, in, in, it is impossible that I could be with the kind of skills and talent I had at that time. It was impossible that I could be uh, unable to be successful, but I was in that situation. I was unable to be successful. Um, I moved here. The IRS, I'd sold a company, the IRS. I got 1099 that year for 600 grand, and the IRS was looking for their 300, and I didn't have it. And, um, <sighs> Uh, and I, I, I couldn't do anything. I, like, literally, if I work, they're just going to take my money. So I went into the local prison and started working with heroin addicts. Um, and I went there so that I could share my incredible wisdom, because if you're rich, clearly you have wisdom. So therefore, I'm going to go in and share <laughs> this. I didn't know squat. I, I, everything I knew would get people killed. And, uh, you know, 
And so I learned everything I know that matters from a few years working with heroin addicts in prison. Uh, literally, I learned so much. I learned how Jesus works in and through us and how we become new beings. Because if you can find sobriety from heroin, you're, you're becoming a new being. And I learned all this stuff. And, and currently, everything that I do is predicated on what I learned in that, in that thing, how, how I, so there's a couple of seminal lessons I learned from that. And I'll go over them very, very quickly. But these things, if I did not have these things, I would not be able to, I would not understand how God worked in my life. So in, in the theory of addiction, control is a really bad thing. I want well-behaved kids if I have to kill them to get it. <laughs> right. you, want this, you want this outcome regardless of the process. So I see on, there's, a, there's a vertical axis, and I needed a visual metaphor for that. So it was a, a, a hammer and a vice. We're going to put our kid in a hammer and hammer him into shape. He might be dead, but at least he's the right size. Right. You know, and so this control is a bad thing. You want this outcome without worrying about the process. The opposite of control is resignation. Resignation says, I can't achieve control. So I quit. I'm taking my marbles and going home. I'm done playing this game. Resignation is choosing to not participate anymore. And I needed a visual metaphor that I really had a hard time with that. I had, I had like footsteps walking out the door, but sometimes leaving is the right answer. I had to find something that was never, ever, ever the right answer. And I finally found it. It was a noose. And uh, I put it on the axes and it was disturbing. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to have to find another visual metaphor because that's disturbing. And eventually I came to the realization, God said, uh, it should be disturbing. Death is disturbing and resignation is a form of death. So in between resignation and control, and really resignation and control are flip sides of the same thing. Um, in between those two is this tension of surrender. Surrender never, never resolves. It's a tension. You want to control it, but you don't. You want to, you want to quit and go home, but you don't. You stay in the tension, and you do the next right thing that God has for you, even if you don't know the outcome. And it's not knowing the outcome, trusting that. So in my previous life, when people told me to give it to God, I'd be like, what, should I wrap it? What do those words mean? They mean nothing to me. Right. Like, you know, and to me, it sounded like go sit in the middle of the freeway and hope for good things to happen. You know, uh, you know, sit there and wait. And, and that isn't what they were saying. And I, I, I did not, I was able to differentiate the um, resignation, which is quitting and staying in the tension of surrender. They are very different things. One is actively in tension, working with, uh, uh, with our, with our um, we, each one of us have agency. So we, we have our agency in alignment with God and we're in this tension and doing the next right thing God has for us. Quitting is, it's anything but quitting. It's the opposite of quitting. And um, so that, that idea that came from resignation, it came from the, um, it came from, from recovery, from the people in recovery. Uh, that changed my life. Um, and then there's another thing we'll talk about later. There's another thing about how uh, sin works, how um, our orientation to sin in recovery. They have a saying, thinking about not drinking is thinking about drinking. <laughs> you know? Right. So there's right. another thing we'll talk about later. I don't want to get too off, off in the weeds. but So that's how I, I got to – I have these – metaphors that that guide my life uh, one of the metaphors is that all of scripture points to jesus it's i look at scripture as a window through which i'm looking for jesus where's jesus in this what does this say about jesus 
And uh, we talked about that. I'd love to share a little yeah. bit of that about what, what we were talking about. But those are the kind of the, the, the framework that I work with. And um, in terms of morality, um, what, what I've come to realize is morality is like the morality is, is like the smell that comes off the turkey on Christmas morning. It's a wonderful smell, but the turkey's the point. You know, if you got uh, turkey turkey scented candles, your family's going to be very irritated with you right. when they find out there's no turkey underneath it. So, morality is a is a, is an outcome, not a not the point. Same, morality and happiness are the same. Yep. If you go out looking for happiness, you won't find it. But if you are doing the things that produce happiness, it will be a wonderful side effect. Yeah, I'm trying to think about some of the stuff that we were talking about today. And I think I asked this question. I said, you know, I, and, and let me, I don't know if I can rephrase it in a way that maybe that it's easy to swallow because as soon as you start talking about what we see happening, we start talking about what is my responsibility in this. Yes. Maybe that's where I want to go with this is because it's confusing. What is my responsibility? Well, we know we're, we're supposed to go vote maybe in the local and then the, you know, the regional and, and, and national elections or all those different things that we see that we want to see differently. And you mentioned about the tension and staying in that or, or the resignation. I think so many people have just said, you know what? Nothing is changing. I can't fix this. Hello. Yeah. And so I'm just going to give up or resign. But as soon as I made this post, they weren't resigned. They're living in that tension right now. Yes. But yes. I think no one knows what to do with that. That's one of the questions. What do I do with this? Because I feel angry. I feel sad. It's like all at once. It's that you're living in that constant tension. Um, yeah, but it, but whose tension is it? There, there's the thing. So here, here's the thing that for me is if you believe that the, the predominant problem that we face, that the world faces, that we face, if you believe that the predominant problem is political, then you're going to believe that voting and and, and getting uh, the the right power um, is is the right answer. Right. But if you believe the greatest problem exists in the hearts of people, and that they are, I, one of my favorite quotes came from a really broken guy, but he said, um, "Jesus did not come to make bad men good; he came to make dead men alive." Life. And and so. The first change happens into me. Uh, so uh, Solzhenitsyn said, um, don't think that the line between good and evil is between you and other people. It runs right through you, the line between good and evil. And so he was so brilliant with that. And I think for us is, um, are we being transfigured? Are we becoming like Jesus? Jesus lived in, he lived under two authoritarian layers of authoritarian thing. He lived um, under some Jewish leaders that weren't necessarily 100% connected to the people. There was some conflict there. And above the Jewish leaders was this Roman occupation. They were not friendly. They were not, they were not wonderful people. You got Pax Romana, you got the peace of Rome, but they accomplished it. It was peaceful for them. <laughs> you know? Right, for but them. They did that, <laughs> but they did that at the great expense to other people. And Jesus didn't declare cultural war on the Romans. In fact, he meets with the Roman centurion and in front of everyone, including his disciples, dude, you get it more than all these people, <laughs> which was a bit of an insult to these, you know, hundredth generation um, Jewish leaders uh, that a Roman, 
a Roman, that's like, you know, the, uh, the good ISIS leader, you know, <laughs> how do we do it? But Jesus was upsetting. He was, he did not declare cultural war on the Romans, but interesting from his, from his, from his execution, Jesus uh, forgives them. And within two, within 200 years, the Roman empire has vaporized. What are we missing? When we think about focusing, we talked about, you know, this moralism and where has it gone, all these different things. Because uh, to me, when I think about all those different things, and they were important things, everything that everyone mentioned on there, um, they're really important things. They are to our lives. We, we know how it can, it can, we can, you know, help walk with our kids, although challenges are gifts. I mean, there's a lot of different heads to this, you know, tails to that coin. But when we start thinking about, you know, what do we, what do we do with all this? Um, Oh, I'm trying to think how I wanted to say that. Because we were talking, we were talking earlier, and I was asking you a question. And it was basically about this this moralism. Boy, I'm drawing a blank. It's... Well, one, one of the things we were talking about, there was a, um, there's a nostalgia that, that, that there was some earlier time where we had it right. And now we're, and now we're slipping into the And now we're slipping abyss. back. And, and, oh, and symptom. Yeah, yeah. So, so think about it. That's it, what I was trying it, to say. When was this golden era? I would love to know when this golden era was, because yeah. when you find that golden era, when America was this, was this, yeah, was this, was this Edenic thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention something to you that will um, challenge that idea. We are right now children. We have less children dying than ever in history before, um, less infant mortality. We have, uh, um, we're, our, our lives are lasting longer than they ever have before. There's a bunch of good things happening right now. Um, and, and I think this idea that we're having this moral decline comes from an idea that um, what you believe about Genesis and what you believe about Revelation colors everything in between and covers where you think we're going. So if you have this idea that Jesus is going to come back on a on a, on a on a bloody white horse and say, "Hey, remember the uh, remember the remember the uh, talk I did throwing them out? Just kidding, kill them all." <laughs> <laughs> if you think that's what's going to happen, you know, yeah. it, then, then your your idea of the yeah. future is going to be very dark. Um, and if, uh, and what you believe about the fall, right? In the fall, the third chapter of Genesis. Um, at the end, God is talking amongst himself. The Trinity is talking together and they say, man is eaten of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if he also eats of the tree of life, he won't be able to die. So we were kicked out of the garden as an act of protection so that we would not make a subsequent mm -hmm. error. So if you start seeing it differently, if you, you know, this is right out of scripture, go read it if you don't believe me. Read these things and you say, oh, there's this protective nature of God. Um, we're at Christmas time, and and before I take you way into the weeds, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about what you what you and I were talking about a little bit ago about Christmas. Um, this idea that Jesus that that we keep time, we measure time based on the birth of Jesus. The basically the entire world at this point uh, keeps time based on his birth, an infant coming into the world. Um, in First Kings nineteen, uh, we have a we have a story of of uh, Elijah. Uh, he's on the run. He's uh, they're trying to kill him. 
you know, it's not good. Uh, he's got a cultural revolt going on. Things are going badly for him. And God, he's hiding in a cave and God brings him out. And he has, you know, there's this storm and this earthquake and, and God wasn't in any of it. And then the still small voice, God's in this still small voice. If you wanted to, to pick a presage of what's going to happen at Christmas, that's probably the best there is. It's just beautiful. The, the world, you know, um, uh, the Jews are oppressed many times over, and they're waiting for salvation. They're waiting for this war horse to come in with this, with this Goliath, with, with these, you know, weapons of mass destruction to come in and wipe out their enemies and make them free. And God sends a baby. <laughs> a baby. You know? Basically a mini me. It's just, uh, yeah. just saying, but, yeah. but but it through a virgin, you know, well what? Yeah. You know, all of the things are so unlikely. And when it is time for him to take his to, to come into his own, he shows up in Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Not a war horse, a donkey. Like what? What? What are we doing here, God? What is this happening? When we look at the at the Christmas story, it was told in the Old Testament over and over and over again, different ways. You can see it coming. It's like what? It's like reading a good novel. You can see what's coming. God's heart for the Romans was different than 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 they thought. You know, uh, Jesus uh, was an undocumented immigrant. You know, he he spent time not in his own country, in these places that weren't his. And um, we get so focused on on America. But one, one thing I got to tell you is um, there's always an empire and there's the kingdom of God. The empire always, every empire that's ever existed works on fear and scarcity. Maybe not to the people in it, but externally. The empire works on fear and scarcity. If you read Revelation, Revelation uh warns us against the cult of empire and the cult of empire is these these things that the roman empire were doing at the time of jesus and the kingdom works on on love and generosity and creativity and grace and so when we're in, when we're following jesus in the way of jesus those are the those are the things what happens if you have a coffee cup that's empty you want to you want to get the air out of a coffee cup you can suck a vacuum but it destroys the cup the way you get the air of the coffee cup is you fill it with coffee and it displaces the air. Love is that same way the Bible says uh, love displaces fear. Fear is nothingness. Uh, love is somethingness. When something, somethingness meets nothingness, it, it displaces it. When when the kingdom of God meets the um, when the kingdom of God meets the empire, it would be great if they could produce together, but they can't because the because the empire's is DNA is nothingness, and the and the uh, kingdom's DNA is somethingness. And when somethingness means nothingness, somethingness displaces nothingness. So this idea that we're going to get a political solution to Christianity, uh, not we, we've got a long history of how badly that goes. Uh, touch, touch a little bit, you know, because what we're we're talking about everything here is how Jesus turned everything upside down. He comes in as a baby, riding not on the war horse, but on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. Man, this is, this is where it's so hard, because I think as, as masculine um, 
the 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 model that we have seen so many times is that model of coming in on the not on a warhorse but on a an F-35, you know, loaded, you know, for bear with missiles and everything coming in. And I think about Jesus and I think about Christmas right now and the peace when I stop. And rather than thinking about the battle being in my hands, what can I do? When I begin to sit and rest in the peace of Jesus and remember how he turned everything with his love on its head. You and I had had a conversation and we were talking about you know, those who would come with force, those who would come with kindness and love and compassion and empathy and understanding. We were talking about the, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. And what, a, what an incredible example of the, the law, you know, and the Pharisees. And Jesus walks in and just turns everything, the way that they do things, where they understood things, identity. Yes. Everything yes. changed in that moment for, for her eyes forever. And those and, who were watching. And for her. So I was, I was in a prison a cafeteria one time in a recovery meeting with these folks that um, they were broken. They were very, very broken. And um, this guy stands up and with tears in his eyes and gratitude, he says, I am so thankful for the cop who shot me. Because if he wouldn't have shot me, I would be dead today. He, he could find gratitude for that. And in my life, I, I can find gratitude for God rescuing me from wealth and power because, because it was my wealth and my power. And, and now I'm, I'm not that way in terms of uh, I, I would have liked a, maybe a half measure. <laughs> right. You know, but no, no, God. You know, for me, it's, it's, I have to live this way, whatever this way is. It's a different way. But my life means something that it didn't mean before. Before, when I went in the box at the end of my life, um, other people would have what I worked for. They may or may not even appreciate it, but it would, but, but, but my, but eternally, my, my life wouldn't have meant much. And today it means more because God has, um, God has allowed me to participate in things that I couldn't participate when I was really self-focused. So, Saturday. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just, I was just thinking Saturday morning, I was at a town about 30 miles away from here. And uh, it was a, it was a, it was a shelter. And I had sat down, I had had breakfast with some of the guys and I got into a conversation with the guy to my left. He was sitting all by himself. Everybody else was talking football and I was and we were doing all that stuff. And as they kind of got up, there was, I was supposed to be in a meeting like in about another 40 minutes or something. And I got into a conversation with this homeless man from my left. I hate to say that because you know, that's not his identity, but that's his circumstance. And so we kind of started talking. He began to tell me a story just all the way down. I mean, it was a long story. And he went all the way through it until where he is now. He's been clean from uh, crystal meth for 60 days. Wow. But every single part of the story was about how Jesus orchestrated all this stuff to where he is now. And the gratitude that he had when he was sitting there was nothing like I was hearing from anybody else in the room. No, no, no. Oh, my gosh. And those men waited for me. They saw this man pouring his testimony out, and it was real. Yes. We, we Sometimes when we hit bottom, we go, God, I don't want to hit bottom. But if I can get that in on my heart and get my mind yes. straight. <sighs> yes. 
So what I do now is take that, that feeling, that sense, that reality, and I, I give it to people who are never going to see recovery. I, I work with pastors. I work with executives. I work with people who are a long ways from there, usually. Um, but in order to do that, you have to have a better metaphor. And my my education is in metaphor. It's uh, I studied under Leonard Sweet. Um, oh, yeah. And my, my education is in, in metaphor. And um, Paul Hebert was an anthropologist, and he helped. He gave me one of those other metaphors that that kind of, when we talk about morality really helped me understand how all this works. And it, when you, when I had this metaphor and I applied it to all that I saw Jesus doing in the Bible, the stories of Jesus looking through the window of the Bible to Jesus, they suddenly started making sense. I used to believe, you know, there's a circle, our first sin, sin every sin is an illegitimate way to fix a legitimate need, right? So we have right. this sin out here, Jesus is at the center and there's a sin, our first sin. We want to be inside that sin. We don't want to be sinning. But if I'm, if I'm, if I got one foot on the line of sin, am I okay? Whatever. If I'm focused on this, the line of sin, my back is to Jesus. Sin mm-hmm. is death. Jesus is life. Where you focus, you give your energy. So I'm giving, because I'm focusing on sin, I'm focusing on morality or pick a number. I'm focusing on death and life is behind me. And so this whole scenario does not work, but it's the only one I had. So I went with it because that's all I had. What do you do? What, what's a better metaphor? Paul Hebert um, developed this stuff. He called it centered set, bounded set. And I'm not going to get into the, the nitty gritty of what that means, but he had a different idea. He said, Jesus is at the center and we're like a scatter plot around him. And whether you're following in the way of Jesus or not is not proximity to Jesus, how far you are. Like the woman caught in adultery was, out, was in the parking lot over there, long ways away. Um, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're standing right in front of them. Jesus says, you're standing in front of me, you can't see me. Uh, but this woman caught in adultery and the woman in the alabaster jar and Zacchaeus and the, the, these people, they're a long ways from Jesus, but they're coming towards him. So whether you're following in the way of Jesus or not is not proximity to Jesus, but orientation to Jesus. These folks that are a long way off, they're focusing in. The the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were focused away from Jesus, even though morally they were very close, but they were right. focused the wrong direction. And so the if you're going to do an in or out, it looks more like an amoeba shaped based on your orientation, but not proximity. And when I got that, I started all of the stories of Jesus started to make sense. When you focus on Jesus, Jesus is life, like the coffee cup. If you are empty, most addictions are based on emotional pain. They, um, they are a, a way of uh, eliminating emotional pain. And most of them, food, heroin, they, they all do the same thing in, in one sense. And they create bigger problems. Uh, Gaber Matei has a, a very wonderful uh, definition of of addiction. He says um, says whatever you do that that f- resolves an issue in the short term, but causes a long term problem, and you persist. <laughs> That's addiction. He goes, it's everywhere. Like literally, there's all different. And where you'll really get in trouble is if you pick an addiction that's socially acceptable. Uh, wealth yeah. was an yep. addiction for me, and everybody uh, everybody wanted to know how I ran my addiction because it seemed such a, pl- a pleasant addiction. 
But as Eldred says, uh, every addiction uh, eventually demands a blood sacrifice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so in the addiction thing, that like going back to what, what we were talking about, the morality piece, um, and I, I really appreciate you bringing this up. This is such a great, rich topic. But the morality piece, there is nothing wrong with morality, but it can't be the point. Well, and you said when you've got your back turned to Jesus, you know, you're not focusing on the solution. Yes. Is really what yes. we're talking about. And yes. this is something else you and I have talked about. You know, we've got a few minutes, but I wanted to touch on this. The difference between transformation and transfiguration. Because yeah. we think about how has this country gotten to this place? How did we transform into this place? How do we transform back out of this? And we begin to look at all these other problems, and we're looking at the symptoms of the problem, but we're not looking at the, the root of what is really going on here. And I think so many of us, because we see all these things happening, we begin to... Um, I mean, when someone says, I'm embarrassed, just as an example of someone I, I saw in one of the posts, I'm embarrassed of our country right now. Okay, well, I mean, why are you, why is that affecting you that you would be embarrassed about something with that? Because does your identity have anything to do with that? Does my identity yeah. have anything to do with what my child does? I had a pastor one time say, my, my daughter got pregnant, I need to step down. Oh, Yeah. And so when oh. you start looking at this whole shame-based culture and, and, and all these things that are, are driving it, um, identity is so key to everything. Because I, I heard another one say, you know, all these, these immoral issues, we just have to take our sin out in the street, you know, and, and beat it out of it. And we've got you know, to somehow try harder, do all these things to get it down. I've never known that to ever work. Even behavior modification has a place, but it only has a small place. It never is lasting. Transformation is a different thing than being transfigured. And that's what I want you to, to mention. Yeah, so, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and a couple of disciples on, on, on the mountain. And, and uh, the disciples experienced this. Um, we have uh, Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And uh, to, to, first, to, to the Jews at the time, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. It represents scripture. It represents what they, it represents the Torah. And uh, at least in my oversimplistic, I'm being oversimplistic here, but, but, but God's saying uh, the law and the prophets point to Jesus, listen to Jesus. So if you taking that, that same metaphor at the, the Mount of Transfiguration, it happened there. It happened again with Jesus. The first two, the first two um, Christian um, uh, pastors uh, were women. You know, and the second one was the woman at the well, and she, um, Jesus, she's trying to divert, you know, she's, she's embarrassed and she's trying to divert. So she tries to start an argument with Jesus. We, we, uh, we worship on the mountain. You guys worship in the temple. Which one's right? There's not a right answer to this in her mind. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, no, just, just so you know, um, very soon, neither one, it's going to be inside you. And I always thought Jesus told, did a magic trick there and told her things he couldn't have known, sort of kind of magic. But I've come to know, I really believe this, that Jesus, she had, she had a number of husbands, and she was known as the woman of ill repute. She's this person. That, and Jesus told her for the first time, honey, it's not you. You're not the problem. You, you, it's not, you, you, you are, she, Jesus told this woman her own story through the eyes of grace for the first time and it broke her and she became the she, she went to her she she 
completely converted her town. She didn't convert them by badgering them to be more moral. She came in and said, look what he's done to me. Done. He's yeah. made me this new human being. I can't believe it. It was inside there the whole time, and here it is. And that's Jesus exactly take... what this guy was doing at the table the other day. Yes. Look what he's done for me. Dude, gratitude. You cannot get over an addiction without gratitude. There is no way. It is. It does not work. And we can't live the Christian life without gratitude. And once you have been deeply touched, and again, there you go, looking in the mirror, being honest with myself, and knowing... Yeah what I really deserve in my flesh and what Jesus, we think about it. It's like there's this big steaming pile of dung in between Jesus and us. And we open our eyes and he's on the other side and he's got his arms around us. And he says, I've never left you. When we think that he's, we're so disgusting that he has to be at a distance. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things because even as disgusting as things in this world have become and have been for, for since the beginning of time, we talk about the, the garden. God has continued to love despite evil in this world. And it is yes. that love that conquers everything. No matter how it hard we have tried, we can't. So what's the difference between poop and fertilizer? Redemption. <laughs> yeah. Redemption. Right? Yeah. It's the same stuff. You know, Jesus comes to me with my big pile of crap, and he's like, hey, look, fertilizer. <laughs> Somebody just brought some fertilizer. You know? Oh, my gosh. Redeem. It's all redeemed. The worst thing you've done can be redeemed. It yeah. can be of great value, but in redemption. We don't have to be afraid or ashamed. And the glory of Jesus in this, the the, um, the angels singing, they knew. They knew. They're yeah. like, just so you know, this is freedom. You don't know it yet. He's just a baby. Uh, but it, but it is in his, it's in that, that you're going to find freedom. It's not the power you think is going to make you free. It's not, it's not what you think. Think about what you would need. This is a really cool thing to start the year with this coming year. A couple of things. Think about what it is that stops you from the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. What is it? Fear. And then I'm going to tell you, you already have it. You already have it. I was at, I was traveling one time and I was going, I was in this really high end neighborhood and I looked at these houses and I knew, I knew, you know, it takes a, a, more than a million dollars just to keep these places open. And I looked at a house and in my mind, I said, if my dad owned that house, I would live differently. And my, and God in that moment said, could we talk? <laughs> you know, we, I didn't live like it. I'm like, we can talk to the creator of the universe and get a response. And that's what I would say this Christmas is Jesus came so that we, he, so, okay, it's fine. He came to preserve sins, but it's not about the forgiveness of sins. It's about life. Yeah. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And he's saying, I include you in the life that I provide. And so when we think the dreams that we have are the dreams uh, acquisitions, or are they dreams that 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 last past the grave? You know, what are the things you and I? Our friendship is eternal. My my bills are not eternal, but our friendship is going to be. I'm going to be your neighbor, whether you like it or not, my brother. I'm hey, going to be your neighbor. Let's do this as we get ready to wind up here, because I was thinking about how this kind of worked into this. You and I were talking about the prodigal son, and it's um. Was it Tim Keller wrote the book Prodigal God? I think it was. Yeah. The yeah. Title it was. So good. 
And what's so cool is this, it's just kind of bringing back even like the Christmas message in that is this. You know, you had the prodigal son who, who didn't really care about his dad. He, he no. wants to take all the inheritance. He wants all the stuff he's going to go. And then he goes and all the immorality. You know, it's the morality's out the window. I'm doing everything that I'm going to do here and all that kind of stuff. And then you have the older brother, you know, who's who's upset. He's done all the things right. He's the moral one. He's done all the law. He's done everything he can possibly do. And the son comes back after all this parting and everything he's done. And the father, you know, hikes up his skirt and he and he runs, you know, and, and it, it's just something you don't do in that culture like that. And he Go get the calf, get the ring, get the robe, all these things, and throws his party. And he's got the party going on, but the older son's not coming in, and he was invited to come to the party. And he's mad because I did all these right things, and look what he did. And so I've heard so many times a story being made about this, this one who came home. He was the immoral one who finally saw the light. And then we, we look at ourselves in the mirror sometimes, you're going, I'm the older one. I'm the one who's tried to keep all the, I'm the moral one here. This isn't fair, God. But the thing is, you have a father who loved them both, no matter what good they had done or what bad they had done. And the, the, the beautiful thing is that no matter which side you're on, you need God. And he is the only one that can transfigure your yes, life. Yes, the hardest one, the hardest one is the one who thinks he deserves it already. The, yes. the, the, the prodigal. I earned it. What, Yes, the prodigal, what Keller says, I love in that book, the prodigal and the elder brother had exactly the same root problem. Both wanted the assets of the father, but neither one of them really wanted the father. Yeah. And and so for me, the thirst is for the father. Um, the thirst is, you know, how do we find what God's doing in this? And and so, yeah, for, bo- for, for the elder brother, the elder brother thought, um, th- that that story was told as an insult. It was told because because the people who were considered themselves in at that point thought they deserved it all. And we as the church, here's the problem. We want prayer in schools. Whose prayer do we want in schools? We don't want anybody else's prayer. We, we want not only prayer, we want prayer in our specific denomination. <laughs> right. You know, and because we deserve it somehow. And we're we're acting like the elder brother in, when, in fact, Jesus is saying, um, if if we if we if we're seeking after the Father and the heart of the Father, we're not going to get worried about the details. We're not going to we're not going to need our own way to do it. What what part of a political solution has to occur before you can experience what God has for you next year? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a political problem. Yeah, yep. it's, it's a hard problem. Until that happens, it's it's a hard problem, yes. right? So yes. let me just kind of wrap it up with this as we come back into this. You know, this is this is a lot of you are going to be listening to this on Christmas, and you're you're going, man. You know, I've got gifts unwrapped. Well, you don't worry about listening to it on Christmas Day. You know, you listen to it whenever when the Holy Spirit moves you. You're, you need something. You need to be able to hear that you have been transfigured. That you're not just a transformed. I mean, that's what happens. You know, as I'm as I'm working out, my body begins to transform. You know, I was totally transfigured. The old me is gone. The new me has come. The, the core of who I am, as Paul talks about in Galatians 2, is, is Christ in me. And he even goes on to yes. say, and I'm no longer driven to even impress God because Christ lives in me. Yes. yes. So I think the Christmas message, you know, Eric, as we came back in the beginning of this today, and you were asking questions about, you know, what do you see coming up for this next year? And I was talking about the breadcrumbs. I think here's the breadcrumb that God put down for me is this Christmas, is that man at the mission who 
has struggled his whole life. And he's got a story that would break everybody's heart. But he sat there and he was you know, missing half of his teeth. He was tattered clothes and worn and, and, and thin from malnutrition and all these things. And he sat there with the most beautiful, warm smile on his face, telling me his story, his love of Jesus, and how everything in his life is different because of him. His yeah. circumstances around everything that was happening, people shooting up, whatever's going on, he wasn't turning his back to God. He is now facing God and saying, God, I can see you now. So, so good. So good. There's Christmas. So that's, yeah. So there it is. <laughs> whatever, whatever you need, get on your knees like we talked about, going in the mirror and say, God, walk with me. Help me see not just about everybody else's stuff. Help me look at my own stuff and be able to, to, to trust you, not to just try to please you, but to trust you enough with me that you know my stuff. You are patient with me. You're going to walk me through this. And your love for me isn't going to change one ounce. No. no. What are the gifts? What are the gifts? What do you have for me? What did you think about me when before you created the world and you, you, you smiled and thought of me? What was it? And how can I, how, how can you lead me into that? What are the gifts? And, you know, we woke up Brent, this morning, we, we woke up Brent, this morning with everything we needed for the day. And tomorrow we're going to wake up, and we're going to be provided with everything we need for the day. The question is, what's it, you know, what, what's God about? Jesus says, I did nothing. I did nothing that the father wasn't already doing. What is the father doing? You know, how do we join him? That's the, the Christmas message yeah. is, is God in us? What are we doing? You know, what, what can we do? How do we change the world? Well, everybody, this Christmas is you're moving forward into the next year. I just want to challenge you to be, be thinking about what are the breadcrumbs God's putting in front of you that maybe you've missed them because we're so focused on these other peripheral things that are going on and our anger and, and all those different things that are going on. But when you think about the peace and the love and the joy that comes from the Father, you know, you're blessed when, when you think about the Beatitudes. Don't let those difficult things get you down because God has a beautiful way of taking those um, most difficult things in our life and turning them in such a way that we have a testimony like that man did saying, I am so grateful for what God's done in my life and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Earn. Man, I, I can't wait to some of our future conversations. There's something weird, you know, like when you're on here and you're trying to remember everything you want to say. We got whatever people wanted to say today. And I look forward to some of these conversations and getting back on here and, and see what, what God's going to do. So, Love you, friend. It's good. Yeah, love you, brother. It's good. <laughs> and remember, again, we are the resistance, but maybe today that kind of turned that term resistance on its head a little bit. Face God. Love you guys. Yeah. See you next love time. You.